0: Word of God. No matter what time it is. The way. 101.1. Current events.
1: Personal values. Political and social issues.
0: Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Israel wants to prophetically help Europe, and they also want to prophetically sacrifice, too. We'll discuss a recent poll, but will the results do any good? Mainstream media and social media have this in common, that <laughs> they both hate the Jews. These are just some of the signs of the times. Our weekly review of Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news for Friday, April 15th. 2022 to learn more about our program subscribe share or ask a prophecy question just go to the way media app or the waymedia.net which is the only place where you can read the articles we discuss and now here to help us stay on the bible train track is pastor mark whose wife in anticipation for her birthday began leaving lots of jewelry catalogs around the house so what did pastor mark get her for her birthday a magazine rack
1: she would like a magazine
0: rack okay yeah i mean she would so, like the jewelry here,
1: yes but she would like the mag. she loves okay. magazines okay so that wouldn't be that bad i wouldn't want to miss one that obvious
0: no that's right but, but. the but. signs are all around you yes yes and you the signs of the time there you go in my Her own birthday home. in, own in home. your own home yes and I, anyway. and I would have missed it you would have missed it <laughs> well anyway uh welcome to our good friday show uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, basically this whole week as Pastor Mark. If, if you are, attend our church, you know that Pastor Mark last Sunday on Palm Sunday began the week long look yeah. at Jesus's, uh, triumphal entry and his examination and, and all the things that were prophesied. Don't forget, everything that we've read about Jesus was prophesied. Yeah. Yeah, and fulfilled absolutely the bible is you know this show is focused on end times prophecy but we can't forget Jesus' birth his arrival all the minute details about his yeah. life are were prophetic
1: yeah and in such detail greg that if you deny it, you're just denying reality god made it so clear that no man has excuse. it is overwhelming
0: even even to the minute detail of the soldiers gambling for his garments. Oh, yeah. I
1: mean, you could go down a list. I mean, yes. there's over some 300 prophecies about Jesus' his life. There's well over 100 just on his, this final week. So, I mean, I wanted to spend some time talking a little bit about this final week, you know, and just kind of talk about what happened. I believe this is the most important week in eternal history. Yeah. And notice I said eternal history. Because yeah. this is where it began, where he proclaimed himself Messiah. He died and rose from the dead. And I know you could say, well, Mark, what about when he comes back to rule and reign? Those are obviously eternally important moments. But if he hadn't ridden in as the king, if he hadn't died and he hadn't resurrected, died for our sins and risen from the dead, none of that would matter. Him coming back would matter to him, but it wouldn't matter to us because, Greg, we'd all be dying eternally. We couldn't be forgiven of our sins. So I see this as overall the most important week in eternal history.
0: And for those people that pay attention to prophecy and maybe even maybe are doubting and maybe wondering, well, what's so important about uh, prophetically predicting that the Roman soldiers would gamble for Jesus's garments, yeah. it, it's so you can trust that God is in the details of everything. That's right. Nothing escapes Him. Nothing gets by Him, and He will fulfill. Now you would think you would think if here's prophecy and here's all these prophecies. Well, you know, I'm just going to take care of the big ones. I'm not going to worry about the little ones because right. how significant is that? It was significant. Oh, yeah,
1: every bit of it. And again, every bit of it. Well, And again, the details, Greg, show the fact of God's total uh, involvement and control yeah. of all of it. And that's what really, I think, validates who he said he was and what he did. You know, anybody that could question... Uh, whether or not Jesus was really the Messiah, whether he was really God, whether he, nobody could do this if they weren't God, no one. And we're just going to cover just a few as we kind of walk through this briefly. I know we have a lot to cover today, yeah. article wise, but again, we talk about this being Good Friday. Again, this was the week where Jesus wrote in, declaring himself to be uh, the Messiah of Israel. The the um, he was their king, but not taking his kingdom yet. And to understand the significance, I encourage all of you that know the Lord out there, go back and read Exodus chapter 12 and read about the Passover lamb. Because that really talks about the beginning of this week. You know, they would bring the lamb in, Greg, uh, before the Passover. They, they brought the lamb in four days early. They examined the lamb and then God said, you're to sacrifice the lamb. And, and then because of that, The death angel will pass over you, and he released them out of Egypt, and all that happened, taking them to the promised land. Well, there's a picture in that that is undeniable that Jesus fulfilled when he wrote in this past Sunday, the day we celebrated, a week in advance. Because you would bring the lamb in four days early for examination by the family. And we know that Jesus wrote in on that day last Sunday. He wrote in... As the Lamb of God, at the same time they were bringing all the Passover lambs up, by the way, from Bethlehem, which is where the Lord was born, and that's where they raised all the Passover lambs, while they were bringing the Passover lambs in for the people for sacrifice, Jesus was riding in at the same time as the Passover lamb. And, of course, we know what happened over those next four days. He was examined by every member of the family, as it talks about in Exodus chapter 12, and, of course, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, even the Roman government we talked about because he died for the Gentiles as well. And by the time we were done with that, after the four days, he was completely found innocent. There was no guilt found in him whatsoever and then of course he was crucified uh when all the passover lambs were crucified at the very same time the hour tells us because John gives us the hour he was crucified we know now historically when they crucified the national passover lamb so to speak they were doing they did over 200,000 lambs that year alone the historian Josephus tells us who by the way was there because he was alive we have it recorded but the national observation as a nation the official passover lamb he died at the very moment that they sacrificed that lamb and then of course was three days three nights uh in the tomb and then rose again on this coming sunday uh conquering death etc but there's again uh, so many neat things greg about the details um and this is one, again, I kind of share with our people here at Calvary, and it's not worth, I don't make a theological argument about this. I wouldn't argue with somebody if they called me up a moment to fight about it. But really, I believe if you follow the, in order to follow the biblical model of the Passover lamb, it's impossible that Jesus died on Friday. It's just impossible. The, the, the way it's lined out in Exodus doesn't make that possible. It says he had to ride in, and 96 hours later, four 24-hour days later, the lamb was to be put to death. Well, John tells us he rode in on Sunday afternoon. That means he would have had to have died Thursday afternoon in order to fulfill the biblical mandate of the Passover lamb. And why that's so exciting is, is that, again, a lot of people wonder, why does it, you know, where do we get the, uh, you know, well, let me say this first, it had to be Thursday to fulfill the biblical picture But also it solves the problem of three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Because if you do it on Friday, he only has two days and two nights. And I know there'll be some that argue, and you read the commentators, they'll say, well, it doesn't really matter that it was a full three days and three nights as long as it was like in the ballpark and all this kind of stuff. The problem is you can't even get it in the ballpark if you don't do it on Thursday. You cannot get three days and three nights unless it's on a Thursday. So you see that the, it fulfills the biblical picture if it's done on Thursday. Then you have the three days, three nights on Friday are on, up till Sunday. And then, of course, the resurrection on the third day. And where a lot of confusion comes in, well, then why do we celebrate Good Friday? Again, I'm not trying to pull away anybody's um, uh, celebrations this weekend. I'm just trying to be what the I believe. The pastor
0: who's still Easter. Yeah, I'm just
1: trying to be what I believe is biblical. Uh, it really came from church tradition, and it came years later after the resurrection, and the church tradition said, well, because it tells us in the Bible that they, it was the day before the Sabbath, that means it'd have to be uh, Friday. Well, where they messed up, and where I believe the church uh, the leadership that started this, what had happened messed up was is you have to realize the Jews go on a 30-day calendar, and it doesn't follow a regular week like ours. It doesn't follow the regular Sabbath. Now, when you look at the Passover celebration, the first day and the last day are also Sabbaths. It's a Holy Convocation day one. It's a Holy Convocation day two. And as it rotates, because they go on 30-day uh, months rather for their religious year, it changes every year just like ours changes every year. We have a different you know it's it's Easter's always on Sunday every year, but the date changes every year well their their days changed every year for Passover uh, because again of the 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 30 day month or whatever and there are times where you would have what they call a high holy day or a double Sabbath and that means you'd have for example uh, two Sabbaths back to back this particular year John tells us it was a and he says high holy day on the day they were preparing. That means a Sabbath. So what you have is, because the rotation of the days, you have Friday was a Sabbath because of Passover, and then Saturday was the regular Sabbath because it was Saturday. So when it says it was the day before the Sabbath, that would be Thursday, because Friday would be the Passover Sabbath, and then Saturday would be the weekly Sabbath. So, again, I don't want to get into the weeds too much here. I encourage our listeners. Okay. that's okay. It's good to know. It is good to know, and I think it does a couple things. One is, go do your homework, go read Exodus chapter 12, and and look these things up. It'll be a fun journey for you. Uh, It's not something, again, to divide over or divide the body over, but what it does, I think it builds your faith in God's word because you see the actual celebration of the Passover lamb really happening Four days, like the Bible says there in Exodus, uh, having to be him sacrificed Thursday evening rather than Friday. And then you have the three days and three nights, as Jesus said, in the heart of the earth, and he rises again on the third day. So if it's the biblical yeah. model in the New Testament, if it's the biblical model in Exodus chapter 12, and I believe God is a God of details. You know, you brought up, Greg, the fact that God cares about details, the fact that they cast lots for his clothes on the cross. Well, why would God go to all that detail about lots for that and then miss a day? on the in the heart of the earth etc so yeah, again point. yeah i for me it's important as a as a as a student of the bible and as a pastor i think it's important that we know that and to me it just adds to our faith and the excitement and the accuracy of what this week is so uh, you know, we had, again, from Thursday now till Saturday uh, early morning, uh, really Sunday early morning now, with the Lord in the grave. And then we celebrate, of course, on Sunday, him resurrecting from the grave. And it's going to be a great day of celebration this Sunday. So that's kind of a quick rundown of the Passover yeah. week. And um, again, I encourage all of our listeners out there, go to your home church. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that. If you have a church, go to it. And once again, if you don't have a home church, we invite you to join us at the Civic Auditorium at 1030 on Sunday morning. We're going to be celebrating the resurrection of the Lord, having our own resurrection service there. Uh, if you don't have a home church or if you don't know the Lord or maybe you're seeking the Lord, you're seeking answers. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about restored joy and, and restored hope and what Jesus has done. And the fact that the disciples, Greg, went through a lot of the same things we're going through today. We're going to see a lot of parallels on Sunday morning. And we're going to have a great worship time with uh, Terry Clark. It's going to be a great, great morning. So I look
0: forward to it. It is. And if you normally listen to our services, our Sunday services on WIAM, we will not be on the radio, uh, but we will be streaming the service from the Civic Auditorium live on the church's Facebook page and the church's YouTube page. Yeah. So if you're interested in, uh, if you can't be here physically, but you want to be with us uh, virtually, uh, then that's a good way to do it. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I wish we could be on radio maybe maybe next year. But either way, we definitely are streaming and so
0: excited about that. Absolutely. All right, well, let's uh, head over to Israel, Pastor Mark, and get into some prophecy stories. Let's do it. Uh, This one is from uh, Israel 365 News. Israel hopes to step in as Europe looks for alternatives to Russian energy. Now, we have been talking about this long before russia even thought about invading that's right. ukraine that's right uh and ma- as a matter of fact once they discovered leviathan yeah once they discovered the natural gas resources off their coast in the mediterranean right we surmised that that would be the the part of the spoils that prophetically in ezekiel russia would come after in now Israel offering to fill a void, which will create competition, yeah. which will create all sorts of bad will yeah. between Russia and Israel.
1: Well, and you know, Greg, to coin a phrase, you don't have to be a prophet to see what's coming. <laughs> and um, yes. that's why we've talked about it for a long time. You know, Leviathan, for our listeners, if you don't know, that was a major, that's what they called that major gas reserve that they found. There's a natural gas reserve that now they're saying, if it's not the largest, it's one of the largest in the world, right off the coast of Israel. And, um, and I remember what a change this was talking about it when they found it because Israel used to always be the nation that had to struggle to get oil and gas. So they had to pay a ma- amazing price. Listen, Greg, 30 years ago, uh, gas was the price in Israel that it is now in America today. Um, you know, that you go over there and it's $5 a gallon. I remember going, how in the world could anybody? It was like a, eight, mm-hmm. a dollar here at that time. And I'm going, it's like $5 a gallon. Well, they didn't have gas or they didn't have oil that they knew of. They didn't have natural gas that they knew of. And of course, they had to get their oil and gas from the Arab world. And they're not going to help them. So everybody had to ship it in from other places, although it was right next door. And then God, you know, that reveals to them this massive oil reserve in the Golan Heights. They're in Israel and this massive natural gas out in the coast. And so God has blessed them tremendously. But with that said, when that came up, we started talking right away about looking what could be one, you know, one of the hooks in the jaw that brings Russia against them because Russia, that's where they make their money nationally over 60 percent of their income as we've repeatedly said on the show and and um and they don't want any competition and now with the war uh people are starting to talk about doing away with uh natural gas they're saying by or or oil from russia they're saying now by 2027 russia or, or europe wants to be totally separate uh is the goal by 2027 to be separate from russia completely and we're now in 22 that's five years from now um, so you can see how Russia's going to panic. What are they going to do when that runs out? They're, they're in the middle of a war. They're talking about losing their income from Europe. Right now, they still have control because everybody needs their gas and oil, or their oil, if you will. And all of a sudden, Israel now, again, is as we said, our postulation was they're going to step in and kind of fill the void, and here we go. Europe's looking to end its dependence on Russian gas, it says, oil and coal by 2027, According to the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, among the options for alternative energy sources in Israel, which could supply natural gas to Europe via pipelines through Greece or Turkey, as well as Egypt, according to the AFP report, former Israeli energy minister Yuval Steinitz said that the Jewish state, and I quote, could definitely be a serious factor in creating more independence and a wealth of energy sources for Europe, according to the report. Israel could even export via Greece, Turkey, and Egypt at the same time, he added, because we have enough gas to export through these three channels. So it's pretty clear what's happening here. Everybody's saying we want to cut off the supply or the coming from Russia and make them pay for this. We don't want to use their resources anymore because now Russia's the big bad guy. At the same time, Israel's stepping up saying, you know, we have lots of what Russia has. We'll supply it to you. Um, You can just see the cascading effect of this. It's not going to make Russia happy russia's already on their border with syria um they already are having some issues with israel because israel's backing ukraine vocally and in action and um and now russia of course is allied with iran and of course iran hates israel i mean you can see this unfolding this is just another way that russia could be pushed to move against israel say all right you want israel's gas and oil no way we're going to come in and stop it so again Keep your eye on it. You know, the the wheels of prophecy, they they sometimes turn slowly, but they, they turn very obviously. Yes. And we see a slow turn, but an obvious turn. You can see what's coming. As I said, you don't have to be a prophet to see what's coming. But be watching this because this is going to turn up the heat from Russia on Israel and an aggression that Israel or that Russia is going to want to go along with. You think about it. Iran's ready to go now. They would attack Israel over religious reasons. They just hate them based on religious reasons, right? Different gods. They want to battle it out. Russia, they're kind of neutral on that thing. You know, it's like, whatever. But you now give Russia a reason to do that, and they've got Iran, who's their ally now, wanting to do it. Why not? You can make Iran happy, and you get all the oil and gas. I think we see what's coming.
0: Yeah. All right, uh, Pastor Mark, our next story comes from Israel today. And this story is in the category of stories that we look at and say this probably has some of the greatest prophetic significance when it comes to the timeline of all the end times prophecies. And that has to do with sacrifices on the Temple Mount. And according to this, uh, there is a call that uh, the title of the story says, the time has come to sacrifice the Passover lamb on the Temple Mount. And this is prophetically huge because this is one of the – the key uh, uh, milestones or victories that the Antichrist will have that no other world leader will have had, and that's to bring peace to the Temple Mount. But there's got to be conflict there Absolutely. in order for there to bring peace. And this this story will bring conflict.
1: Yeah, let's, let's read a little yeah. bit of it and then discuss it for a second here. Notice Jewish group issues urgent call to restore biblical sacrifice amid the renewed Palestinian terrorism. Um, it says, Israel's under attack. Terrorists are coming out of their lairs, murdering Jews all across Israel. We cannot yeah. wait any longer, they say. Now we must sacrifice. Now we must sacrifice the Passover lamb on the Temple Mount where the Holy of Holies stands to put an end to the terror, let me explain that in a moment, and make peace with the most holy God. There is so much going on here. Let me let our listeners know, and I may read a little bit more of this, but let's let's just go... Um right now to discuss some of this i remember a few years ago greg when they did the very first passover sacrifice in jerusalem In jerusalem as a matter of fact we may have been there that year it may have been uh, uh, at passover time we may have been on a trip it seems to me we were there i didn't see it when it happened in the jewish quarter they ended up sacrificing a lamb setting up an altar sacrificing a lamb in the jewish quarter because here's what they do they tried then the first time they were going to do it to march it up to the temple mount so they go through the process and of course. The police stopped them, the Israeli police. They don't want World War Three. They don't mm-hmm. want to fight with all the Muslims. Right. So then they go through the ritual doing. They can't get up there. They went back to the Jewish quarter and they sacrifice the lamb. They've done that for years now. They've been going they they walked the lamb up there. The police push them away. I'm sure the same thing's happening today, because this is about what it's happening right now. They go back down and they go to the Jewish quarter and they sacrifice. But what's amazing about it is they're going to continue to do it, they say, until they let them do it, and they literally have priests. That are trained in the Passover sacrifice, doing the services. It's not just a bunch of Jews go. We're going to kill a lamb. They're doing.
0: No, it. this is high. This high level stuff. Yes,
1: yeah. the Levitical order. They're doing this the way you know, et cetera, et cetera, and and so they're pushing for this. And as you said, it, what it shows is a couple of things. One is, um, it shows that the Jews recognize, and they they haven't really been, I don't know how to say openly admitting this. They kind of hide it. But they're openly admitting it more now, Greg. They realize that in order to be right with God, there needs to be blood shed by a lamb. I remember at the Temple Institute one year I brought that up and and he didn't like that the rabbi that was there over it you know and uh, he I, I said what do you do about the you know the blood and the lamb and what do you guys do about that because I know that's required he kind of got upset you know and I, I forget all the details of it but
0: he's like that's what Yom Kippur is for
1: well the reason they get upset is because they realize if they're going to be religious Jews following in Judaism according to the Torah the word of God you've got to sacrifice a lamb there is no other way that sins can be taken away now they shy away from saying that because that would admit
0: we're we're still on our sins and and we're and we're not taking care of our sins right so 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 they kind of really push it to the back and if you bring it to the forefront it's a tense moment now
1: yeah. But what's interesting in this, these particular, they're unbelievers here, These are that are doing this Levitical sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Notice what they said here in their statement, Greg. They said, it's time for us to make peace, to do this, in order to make peace with the Most High God. And there's two levels on that. One mm. is, they believe that because the Bible says that the temple is to be a place of peace for all mankind, that they need to reestablish the sacrifices and the temple so that the world can have peace. Okay? That's on the Gentile world level. But they're also admitting here... We realize we're not really at peace with God until that blood is shed. Now that's, this is, it's, they didn't come right out and say it, but that's what they're saying. And here's what it shows me. There is a consciousness to the Jewish people, at least these that are trying to do this, going, we might not admit this out in the open, but we recognize there needs to be blood. There has been no blood for 2,000 years. We've got to have blood. So the Lord is now getting them ready. He's prepping them to again admit they need blood. And they need the blood of a lamb, or we would say the lamb, as we know he's leading them to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days, reviving them to turn to Jesus and his blood on the cross, the yeah. lamb of God, the very thing we're celebrating. So there's so much going on here when you read this article and read this and, and realize what's happening. Um, it goes on and says this is an actual appeal now spreading across the country by Jew- the Jewish movement called Back to the Temple Mount. Calling for a sacrifice of a Passover lamb on the Temple Mount on Passover Eve this Friday night as the Sabbath begins. Now, again, uh, see, it falls this year on on the Sabbath. It's actually falling on the Sabbath. Uh, Whereas we saw with Jesus, it was the day before the Sabbath and the double Sabbath, etc. It changes every year. The movement is asking the Jewish people to do everything possible to make the Passover sacrifice on the Jewish Temple Mount on the very spot where the Holy of Holies once stood 2,000 years ago. They think they know it. I'm not so sure they're right, but that's a whole other argument. The group says that this is the only way to gain God's favor and protection for the Jewish people from the plague of terror that's hitting Israel, et cetera, et cetera. It ends by saying the Palestinian media have been raising warnings about the sacrifice of the Passover lamb on the Temple Mount. Now, where do they believe that the sacrifice where the Holy of Holies was? It's the same place that the Muslims believe it today, and I think they're both wrong. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. Okay. But they believe it's inside the uh, the Dome of the Rock. That rock that's in there, they say, is where the Holy of Holies was sitting, and they say that's where the temple was built. Again, I don't believe that for a number of reasons because I believe the temple was to the north of that in this big open area, not because it's a big open area, because of course when the temple was destroyed, the Dome of the Rock wasn't there either, but because of the position of the Eastern Gate. According to the rabbis, you could stand in the doors of the temple as you went into the holy place, right? Yes. And look straight out in their own writings. They said you could look straight out and look through the eastern gate. If you go over to where the rock is on the Dome of the Rock, great. you do not look out. We've now found the ancient eastern gate. We know where it is. It's located. It's over to the north of that spot, which means the temple, I believe, had to be to the north, which is interesting because it's a big open area today. And one of their big arguments is, we got to, We have to get rid of the Dome of the Rock before we can build our temple. I don't think so. I think they're going to build it right next to the Dome of the Rock.
0: Now, on the western side of the eastern gate yes. is the Dome of the Spirits, You're right. which, which is purportedly where the most holy of holies would sit in relation to the size of the temple yeah. that would be built on the temple mount and that would include encompassing the outer courts the inner courts and everything that goes into the temple construction yeah. so my question to you is is that we know how old the eastern gate is in terms of relationship to the to the temple and its history right but the dome of the spirits is that something that was added after the destruction of solomon's temple no, it is it 70 is, ad or did it exist before it then? is an
1: uncovered foundation stone from the days of christ okay that's what it is But okay. here's what's interesting Let, let's take some time on this we have time yeah the Jews today, they don't acknowledge that as where the temple was. They say it's where the Dome of the Rock was, and I think they're going to have a revelation that yes, that isn't, or at yeah. least it doesn't matter. Because remember, here's where the prophetic part comes in, and then we'll talk about the future temple. Okay, It says in Daniel chapter 9 that the Antichrist is going to sign a treaty and allow the Jews to build their temple and start their sacrifices again. All right? So there is going to be Passover lambs and everything else up there at some point, and the Antichrist is going to be the one leading the way. The real insidious thing about this is they, they believe that their their Messiah is going to be the one that allows them to do that. So they are set up prophetically and biblically to believe that the Antichrist is their Messiah. He's going to sign an agreement. They're going to be able to rebuild their temple and start their sacrifices, and they're going to see him as the Messiah because of that. Now, the Messiah will build the fourth temple. That'll be Jesus when he comes back, and that's where they're getting confused because the Bible does say the Messiah will build their temple. But they believe it's going to be this third one, and it's going to be the Antichrist, taking the place of anti instead of Christ, presenting himself as the Christ, and they're going to fall for it. Now, this is interesting about the Dome of the Spirits, because again, if I'm correct, and again, I've not found anything to refute this yet. I remember asking, I said, so why do you as Jews, why is this called the Dome of the Spirits? And the answer is, well, we don't know. Mm. That's just what it was named many centuries ago and it's called Dome of the Spirits, and they build this little thing over
0: it. Yes, a portico well, or something.
1: Well, it's yeah. an, it's, it's, down, it's down to the foundation of what used to be there when the temple was there. It's called Dome of the Spirits. It's positioned perfectly in line with the Eastern Gate toward the back of the Temple Mount from the Eastern Gate, which is where the Holy of Holies would have been with room behind it to finish the temple out. Greg, I believe that spot may very well be where the Holy of Holies used to sit in the temple before they destroyed it and knocked it down. So now here with that setting, you got the Dome of the Rock, the area I believe where the temple really was right beside it to the north, the Jews and the Muslims believe that the Dome of the Rock's really have to be. And when I asked that particular rabbi, what are you going to do, the same one we were talking about the blood and all that, what are you going to do about the Dome of the Rock? He got upset about that and said, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's up to God to deal with. He said, basically, God's going to have to deal with that, you know, because, and he just got real upset, you know, yeah. you know he's going to have to deal with it, right? I don't think he's going to have to deal with it. Here's what's going to happen. I believe the Antichrist is going to come along and he's going to say, look, the Dome of the Rock is there. Leave it there. We can't upset the Muslims. There's a huge area right here that's open. Build your temple here. Now, you might have some to say, but that won't work because that's not where the temple was. So they'll either accept that offer to stop World War III or whatever would happen if they try to move the Dome of the Rock or in the agreement or something's going to happen. That's going to show the Jews, hey, wait a minute, we were wrong. Yeah. This is really where our temple was. And with enthusiasm, they may very well start building it right there. Um, and by the way, Greg, they say now they have the plans drawn. They say with the modern technology, they can
0: have that temple finished in yeah. six months. Well, the Temple Institute has everything ready to go. Oh,
1: and in six months, though, now yeah. get this. And here's the thing. It says also in Daniel that the moment that this is allowed to take place, they'll start sacrificing right away. Yeah. It says for 220 days they'll be sacrificing while the temple's being built. So they'll be sacrificing. The right. temple will be being built at the same time, and it'll be finished during the Great Tribulation. Yeah. It'll be from that temple. The Antichrist will stand up and say that he's God, as it talks about in Revelation. And so uh, this whole thing here with this Passover lamb, there is so, like, you know, Greg, it opened up a prophetic... As I yeah. say, can of worms. There's yeah. so much wonderful stuff there.
0: Well, whenever we see prophecy stories like this that have to do with sacrificing on the Temple Mount, yeah, pay close attention. Oh yeah, because it's going to happen. Because it's going to happen. But the thing is, is that what's going to happen before that is going to be the conflict. Yeah, and and that will that will usher in, you know, yeah. the peace treaty. Now we believe that Ezekiel will happen before that yes i do I absolutely do but yes. i think but i think that that the, war. the conflict will be running in parallel up to the point of the apex or the the fulfillment yeah. of ezekiel 38 and 39 yeah. the antichrist coming in to uh bring peace to the region and and part of that will be bringing peace to the temple mount right. which is part of the conflict Of everything that's going on there.
1: Yeah, I actually think, Greg, as we've talked about, I think the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war is going to be the thing that now gets the whole world in flux. That guy's going to come on the scene and say, now, let's get everything together. He'll make that treaty with Israel and the Muslims at that time, and then give them their right to rebuild their temple.
0: Now, I don't have a map of the Temple Mount modern day as it exists today, but I believe that just north of the Dome of the Rock is basically the center point of the Temple Mount as it goes north to south. Yeah, it is. You're basically, yeah, that's, and that's, that's pretty. Later in Ezekiel, either it's Ezekiel 40, 41, 42, it's one of those chapters. The The Lord talks about a wall being built to separate the profane from the unprofane. That's right. And so part of this peace treaty will include a wall because That's part of the deal. So they can do their things. We don't have to look at them, and we can do our things, and we don't have to look at them, and we can do what we want to do, respectively, between Jews and Muslims on the Temple Mount and not be in conflict anymore. So the wall is going to be integral into this peace treaty as well, because... Uh, Ezekiel talks about
1: it. Yeah and, yeah, and actually, it does at the end of Ezekiel forty two. Forty
0: two. There you uh, go. It,
1: it, it indicates that there will be a wall that'll run the whole length of the Temple Mount, and and it would make sense, Greg, because it indicates it'll run again from east to from west, east to west, yeah. and it'll separate, as you said, the holy from the unholy, the profane from the righteous, or whatever. I'm not even the righteous; isn't really used because. But you get the point. Yeah. The temple, even though they're not right with God, they so will. So the be.
0: Dome of the Rock has to be on the south side.
1: Yeah. Yes. And here's the thing. Um, you know. It, can you imagine with the Dome of the Rock, which they've now made into a mosque, it didn't used to be a mosque, it was just the Dome of the Rock, and it's recently, here in recent years, has now become a mosque.
0: Mm. Um, and and a lot of So people, there's two mosques on the
1: Now there route. are. The Dome of the Rock is being used as a mosque, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is on the, very, the very southern south, end, yeah, southern end yeah. which is where all the rocks are being thrown today, right now, as a matter of fact. But anyway, because of Passover and Ramadan, they're overlapping this year, so it's a mess. But anyway... Those guys, listen, look at the rocks being thrown as we speak. All these things are happening on the Temple Mount. The police, all these things are going on. Can you imagine if these two tried to worship on a regular basis, side by side? There's no way. Yeah. That's why the wall would appear. Ezekiel 42 is going to be built. Needs to be there um, because that way they can't, they're can't. they not going to be fighting all the time. They'll be worshiping over here. The Jews will be worshiping on the other side of the wall. The Antichrist will make this whole wonderful deal take place, and the world's going to think, man, you're, you've done it. You've, you've solved this thing. you figured it out. And so here's the sequence to be watching. Probably the Ezekiel 38-39 battle. The Antichrist is going to appear on the scene. He's going to have control of all things. He'll make this agreement with uh, the Jews. And again, it's going to be right at the beginning of the final seven years that he makes this agreement. Because the Bible tells us, it's this final seven years prophetically that God has promised the nation of Israel. as is prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. And he'll start the beginning of those years. The first three and a half, they'll be building it. He'll be ruling the world. Everybody be seemingly getting along. Then at the middle of that three and a half, the Antichrist goes to the temple and declares himself to be God, and that's when the real persecution, that's when what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble begins, and the worst persecution on the Jews in world history takes place simultaneously with God turning up the heat on all of the bowl judgments being poured out. He's going to start the seals right at the beginning of the seven years and all that, and trumpets and all, but the bowls, and, and they kind of overlap but the worst of the judgments are going to come after the Antichrist declares that he's God. And even as God judged the gods of Egypt, the first time he rescued the nation of Israel, he's going to judge the gods of the world as he now begins to allow this to take place with the Jewish people to break them and then rescue those that get saved through that. While some of them, remember at the beginning of that three and a half, that final three and a half years, when He when the Antichrist declares that he's God, they're going to flee down to Petra. So there's so much going on. I mean, again, we just—I know I just dumped a lot of information out there, but it's just so exciting uh, the days we live and to watch it unfolding. I think we're so close, Craig, and it's just—I it, it, get excited. Even I can't wait. Lord, come
0: back, come yep. back, Maranatha, Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, this is Wiamlp Knoxville, and you are listening to Signs of the Times, our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. All right, let's head over to America, Pastor Mark. We're going to save our listener question okay. until uh, the end of the show just okay. to make sure we get through these stories and then we'll hit the listener right, great, question great, for great, the week. Great, great. All right, uh, this is from ChristianHeadlines.com. This is a poll that was recently taken where it says most Americans say the moral lessons of Eastern Passover are important for ensuring a strong America. Okay, well, that's great, but yeah. we don't really see them being employed. No, you don't. It's interesting. I'll read a hear of this. You
1: know, the report found 72.6% of the uh, respondents said that the moral lessons in Easter and Passover are somewhat important, 20% very important, 52 uh, you know, guarantee a strong future of the nation. It's interesting, Greg. It doesn't matter what you believe if you don't take action on it. And I, I see this article, and I'm going, yeah, okay, way to go. I'm glad people think that there's good lessons here. In what we're getting, but at the same time, if we don't repent and do something about it, I think of John the Baptist. They're talking to the Pharisees when they came down there to the river bank of the Jordan, and he said, "You know what?" He said, "Don't come down here wearing your long robes and acting all righteous and looking like you're doing the right thing because you want to be baptized." He said, "Show me the evidence. Show me the fruit of repentance." You know, where's the beef? As mm. they say in the old Wendy's commercial, "Where's the beef?" Show me the rob- uh, you don't don't play games. Let's get real with God. So while I, it, it, it's encouraging to hear that America you know put on a a form yes we think that until america acts on it this isn't going to help us
0: yeah a useless poll yeah all right, uh, let's go to One World Economy News. Uh, we've had this story before in the past, but we've got a new twist on this story. Yes, and that has to do with microchip implantation. This is from the BBC. The microchip implants that let you pay with your hand. Yeah. but they also do something else.
1: Yeah, this is interesting. You know, uh, we have been covering microchip implants for a while. It's being it's so it's so normal now that it's Europe,
0: Florida, some yeah, clubs. It, I mean, look, it doesn't even seem it.
1: it's so normal now, Greg. It doesn't even seem awkward as a Matter of fact, we have this, and and you know, not to get sidetracked, but this, you know, Israeli Yuval Noah Harari, who's everybody looks to with the World Economic Forum, this guy that really just speaks the Satan speaks right through this guy. You know, he talks about how now the next move for the world is to get under our skin. That is, that something needs to be put in the body so they can monitor everything about us, not just externally, but internally. And, of course, we know this is coming. We know it's going to happen. But there's something here I want to point out. First of all, uh, let me read some of this. Patrick Paulman causes a stir when he pays for something in a shop or restaurant. This is because the 37-year-old doesn't need to use a bank card, his mobile phone or to pay. Instead, he simply places his hand near the contactless card reader, and the payment goes through. And I quote, he said, the reactions I get uh, from the cashiers are priceless. A security guard said from the Netherlands, the security guard, he's able to pay using his hand because back in 2019, he had a contactless payment microchip injected under his skin. He said the procedure hurts about as much as someone pinching you. But listen to this. Here's the thing that got me. And this is why this article was I wanted to leave in today's stack and not just another chip in the hand article. Mr. Paulman has a chip under the skin in his left hand um, and it lights up. When it comes into close contact with a payment machine. Now that caught my attention. Those two words lights up. Here's why. Yeah, you can put that in there and and maybe this isn't necessary. It, it, this may mean nothing in the long run. But what it showed me was the technology. I, I wasn't even thinking this way. If you're checking to see that everyone has a chip as the Antichrist will want to do and the world controlling everything will want to do after the rapture and they're making everybody get this chip. You pretty much have to go scan everybody or have your hand scanned. Well, with technology that would light up in your hand, not that you would need that. I'm sure the technology could detect it without that, but you could literally have detection things set up in cities, in WalMarts, in in large venues, and all you'd have to do is watch. And does their hand light up? Is there a detection of a hand as you walk through those scanners? Is your hand lighting up? If you walk through in a crowd and your hand doesn't light up, they pull you aside. Hey, you're not you're not chipped, and then they can do a further mm-hmm. scan to make sure, et cetera. So I just I guess I'm seeing now uh, something I hadn't thought of. And I'm sure the technology's already been there, but it brought my attention to the fact a larger, a, a greater level of technology that could detect everyone who does or does not have the chip on a larger scale much faster. Mm-hmm. And the point is, when this happens, there's no escape. Yeah. There's no escape. And so, uh, you know, the the old thing, you know, this guy really lights up when he gets around, just, you know, again, he's that you're gonna know they're gonna light up
0: based on the chip or not. So I find that interesting. You, you light up my yes, life. That's and right. All the old songs. Uh, now the story does say, though, that the chip was put in his left hand, right? It does. So this is not the mark of the beast you're for right. anyone that might be hearing this and jumping to that conclusion. It's not because the Bible tells us that that mark will be in the right hand or the forehead
1: you prophecy king you look at you i mean you're just no like, i'm just, there it, you just are. Ca-
0: it just came to me prophetically no yeah. i no <laughs> i mean just it made right. Me think about that. The when right You said hand left hand or the hand, forward, hand that's, right. that's a that's a key tell right there yeah
1: so. yeah and very interesting anyway. but again i think yeah. keep an eye on that because the technology is to a point now mass detection it's, of the we're getting chip. closer oh we're there we're there,
0: it just we're there. It's, it's just gotta happen it's just gotta happen yeah all right All right, let's get to some growing anti-Semitism news. Uh, This is from Israel 365 News. Uh, The mainstream media has been caught, imagine that, manipulating headlines on terrorism To make Israel look like the aggressors.
1: Yeah, and and for those who have followed the show over the years, you know, this is nothing new. I mean, they've been doing this for since we started this show, Greg. They've been doing this. What they do is they take something that happens, and rather than simply reporting it the way it should be reported, they make it look like Israel has done something wrong. Uh, For example, let me read some of it. As Israel mourns in the wake of a deadly Palestinian terrorist attack, the foreign media is working overtime to obfuscate presenting headlines that dance around the truth. Refusing to use the word terrorism and focusing on the death of the terrorist as the significant traffic tragic element. It's like the bad guys, the good guy to them. And that makes sense. When you look at, you know, what the Bible says, good becomes evil, evil becomes good. Perhaps the most egregious headline was offered up by the ultra left wing Washington Post, which posted this Israeli forces kill Palestinian attacker after manhunt. Adding the update later, third victim dies. The formerly venerated Reuters was no better with a headline, and I quote, Israeli forces shoot dead Palestinian after terror attack, uh, Tel Aviv bar attack. Uh, Tamar Stenthal of the Committee for Accuracy in the Middle East reporting said, when he tweeted this, he said, no Reuters, don't do that again. Here's Here's the real story. The Palestinian was a terrorist who shot dead two civilians and wounded 12. He was the perpetrator, not the victim, and then he was taken out after he killed all these people. So, in other words, It was because of what he did that they hunted him down and tried to arrest him, but killed him. And at the same time, they presented like they just hunted some guy down and killed him. And boy, these mean old Israelis, and aren't they awful? This is the kind of stuff that Satan does. It's amazing, Greg, the power of media. And using media for your, your benefit, you know, I, I I don't know how much we can really apply this, but I, I still think it, the prince of the power of the air. Oh, yeah. You, know, you think of the prince of the power of the airwaves. I mean, the reality is, this guy, I know he's talking about the literal air, I get all that, but boy, he uses the media, and he uses the airwaves, and he uses all these things, and people just believe it. It's amazing the power of propaganda and media. Um, you know, again, it's 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 like saying, you know, some guy comes in and shoots down twenty people dead. Somebody pulls a, a you know a, a handgun out, kills them, and they, they write the article. You know, man with illegal handgun shoots person in large crowd. And, you know, you're like, well, why'd that happen? Then you go find out because he had just killed twenty people. It's so disingenuous, yeah. it's, and they do it to Israel all the time.
0: It's not what they're saying; it's what they're not saying. Yeah. Yeah. They're not giving you the the whole truth. That's right. Make Israel, Israel does the right thing and yeah. then make them look like the bad guy. You know,
1: Greg, it's again, the media always manipulates this yeah. way. It's almost like, you know, you're never going to have heard someone say just the other day, you, you can't have a, a story about the second amendment, an honest conversation about the second amendment with a mom who's there grieving over their child just being shot because yeah. all the emotions kick in and you go, all oh, guns are bad or whatever. So they, what the media does, they're doing this with Israel. They set it up on an emotional scale and the emotions are what are magnified rather than what's right or wrong. This terrorist is wrong. They did the right thing by killing him. That was the right thing to do because he killed these people and he had to be stopped before he killed anyone else. And yet, at the same time, they present it like, you know, Israel's the bad guy. Just, exactly. It, it's, it's, it's frustrating, but again,
0: it is what it is, and that's how Israel's going to be treated until the Lord comes back. Well, let's go from mainstream media to social media, Pastor Mark. As we see in Israel National News, Israeli authorities remove nearly 6,000 social media posts that urge more attacks on the Jews. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again,
1: they shouldn't have to do this. The state attorney's office, Cyber Prosecution Department, said it had handled um, about 5,815 requests from security officials to remove provocative content or posts supporting terrorism against Jews from various social media platforms over the past three weeks. The posts have come from various locations in Israel's Arab and Bedouin sectors. Makes sense. Following, that's their enemies. Following the recent spate of terror attacks, claiming the lives of over a dozen civilians and maiming others. The vast majority of complaints, approximately 3,300, emanated from Facebook, approximately 8, 87% rather of them being removed. TikTok videos received about 770 complaints with about 84% removed. In March, popular, uh, Arab blogger Salah Zikhari praised the terrorists who carried out the deadly terror attack in Bani Brock in which five individuals were murdered. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, these, it's interesting, Greg, to watch how these media outlets, they, They remove people and cancel people and stop people from free speech that they don't like. But then, when these false reports are put out about terrorists and murder and all this, they just let it ride because it serves the enemy's purpose. Or
0: posts that are served to incite violence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, again, we know that Satan is the God of this world, small g. And God is the God over all the earth. We know yeah. the true God; He runs all things, but He's allowing Satan certain levity, and this just shows how that operates.
0: Well, and this is another example, too, Pastor Mark, of when things just don't make sense. How how can you allow posts that incite violence yeah. towards one people group to just go unchecked? Yeah. And if someone were to put that out about somebody else's ethnicity, yeah. They would be banned for life from Twitter. Yeah. There would be protests in the street. It's amazing. All of that. So that's when you know it's a spiritual battle.
1: Well, again, recently, Greg, it was brought up in just this recent court nominee that came up, you know, that there was somebody that was convicted of pedophilia. And they literally, the judge literally said, I'm sorry that your family's been through all that you've been through. Having have you know, had this happen where, where your son was a pedophile and all the trouble it caused him and all the trouble it caused your family. My heart's with you. And I'm sorry you had to go through all that. Literally. The person who did the pedophilia act, she was apologizing for the fact of how that person had to suffer for that act of pedophilia they'd done. I'm like, this shows you how reverse good and evil has become in our culture today, and um and and you know, uh, again, it, it's it, it's it's mind boggling if you didn't know the Bible and you didn't know how the enemy's working and god's allowing it you would just say everything's gone mad yeah. and yes it has but the lord's in control and he's about to come back and make it all right yeah so we amen. can
0: we can we can't wait amen. we're gonna have to but we can't wait amen well let's have some good news past Martin, before we get our to our listener question uh this is from christian headlines uh masters if any of you follow golf uh the masters happened uh what this past weekend yeah masters champion scotty scheffler uh He's into golf because I'm trying to glorify God. Yeah. So that was interesting story.
1: It is. It's always good to see these uh, successful people that do things that the world recognizes and giving God the glory. Uh, says the 2022 Masters champion is a, he's 25, 25 year old Texan who says he golfs to glorify God and who credits Prayer for giving him peace on an anxious weekend. Scotty Scheffler won his first Masters tournament Sunday. That's optimistic with a dominant final round ending a four-day event at 10 under par and edging second place Rory McElroy by three strokes. It was his first major championship, but his fourth overall in less than 2 months. I mean, he's won like um championships in in the last two months. four. This is his first major. And listen to this guy. In March, he became the world's number one golfer. I don't know how they determine that, but he became the world's number one golfer in the official world golf rankings at a record pace with a mere 42 days passing from his first victory to being ranked in the top spot. The previous record again for being quickly elevated to that spot was held by none other than Tiger Woods, it took him 252 days. This guy did it in 42 days. Asked during the Sunday news conference what drives him. He said, well, my car, of course. <laughs> no, he didn't. That's me saying that. That's me. That's me. Let's get back to the article. Asked during a Sunday news conference what drives him. Shepherd pointed to his faith. And I quote, the Lord is leading me. And if today is my time, then it's my time. And he said, referencing his outlook on Sunday morning. And if you know I shot 82 today, uh, you know, somehow I was going to use it for his glory, he said. All I'm trying to do is glorify God, and that's why I'm here and that's why I'm in this position. And so for me, it's not about a golf score. That is so encouraging. Yeah. What he's saying is, you know what? Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna rest. If God is is wants me to win this, He'll give me what I need. I'm gonna do my best for His glory. And if not, it's okay.
0: It's yeah. up to God. That's encouraging. From what I remember uh, listening, I can't remember what day that I was watching some of the Masters. They were sharing this story. About how Scheffler was uh, in a Bible study, and his caddy was in that study. Now he had caddied for other golfers, right? Uh, but Scheffler had reached out and said, "I want him on my bag for the Masters because you know I want a brother in the Lord." On the bag. Oh, that's neat. That's so neat. it's a neat story. That really so, is neat. No, yeah.
1: I, yeah, I didn't know that. And again, it's yeah. always good to see that. And these guys, not afraid of how the world's going to, you know, attack them for that or whatever. And, you know, you just do it and you do it. And, and so good for him. And that is definitely a feel good story.
0: Yeah. You know, that's a good encouragement for people, too, in the midst of we see everything that's going on in the world that's so negative, so bad, so hateful. You know, if God's calling you to do something, you know, and calling you to do something for him. Yeah rest that he's going to protect and provide and and in Put you out there in the way that He wants you to be out there to accomplish His will, you know. Yeah, so if Scotty Scheffler really believes that you know God's calling him to do this for whatever, you know, God's going to give him like those wonderful statistics that you just yeah. shared. You know, as long as he keeps giving God the glory and pointing people to Jesus Christ, yeah. you know, God's going to use you. So don't be don't be afraid of anything else that's going on in the world.
1: Well, and I want to encourage too our listeners out there when it comes to you know your performance before God or. What or whatever or what you think you need to do before god i love what he said there because this is so good um you know oftentimes i think that we feel like okay i didn't really do a good job i shared my faith nobody got saved i shared with my family i shared with my friends i feel like i stumbled over it you can't save anybody anyway god said you, i'll give you the ability to do what i've called you to do just go do it And trust in me and the results. God is the one who brings it about, and He made the statement. He said, "You know, look, if I go out today, He was leading the pack, and here he is, his first Masters. He had to be nervous. The article says he was throwing up. He was, or no, I'm sorry, he He, was crying. He he, was so nervous that
0: Sunday morning, and he told his wife he didn't think that he could do this, and so they talked and prayed through it. And yeah, and so again, but he, but he, he went into it saying, 'You
1: look, if it's if I shoot horrible today and fall completely off the leaderboard.'" You know what? I'm going to rest. This is in God's hands. And I want to encourage you, you know, those of you that are trying to minister to your family and minister to your friends, maybe the pastors out there today, you've got Easter service coming up, Resurrection Sunday, and you're, you know, you're worried, what if I give the altar call and nobody responds? That's not your responsibility. I mean, you 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 don't save anyone. You're not the one that that can do. Your job is to tell them about the Lord, let his word burn in their heart, and then God is the one that does the saving and all that needs to be done. And I really appreciate that, saying, look, just relax, be who you are, do what you're called to do, let God work out the results. And it takes that pressure of, especially as a believer serving God, as what you have to do to perform. We don't perform. We simply just serve him. And I loved his attitude. He's not going out to perform something. He's going out to do what he's called to do. To God be the glory, he was able to relax, and God used him, and now he's using it as a platform to uh, magnify the Lord. I think it's just a great trigger. That's a good feel-good
0: story. It really is. Absolutely. All right. You've got mail. Let's get to our listener question. If you've got a question for Pastor Mark, don't forget, you can go to thewaymedia.net, click on Signs of the Times, and submit your question Uh, like Tana did. uh, And I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. It's Tana or Tana. I would say I would Tana, because I, no I had a
1: friend here in the South with that spelling, and it was Tana. Okay, there you go. So I goes. bet it's Tana.
0: Okay, Tana. Well, uh, here's what Tana uh, says. What do you do if a female becomes pastor of your church? I've heard your teaching on this. I have read the Bible about this. I have read commentaries about this, and I have prayed about this for a long time. Is it a sin to stay in that church? i know it says women can teach women but are they to be a pastor to them
1: yeah this Great is a question it is and a very sensitive subject and i yep. felt we needed to address it you know this is one of those really as a pastor it's a lot easier to say let's just forget that no need to bring that up we don't need to you know the trouble of it or whatever but you know i think because of the way our society is going and because of the way our church is going we need to have a biblical perspective and let me just start out by saying um, there's never any issue of men being greater than women or women greater than men in the Bible. God says we're all equal in Christ. Um, I look at the example of Jesus, you know, um, he submitted to the Father. Here he was, God in human form. And he submitted to the Father. He said, I do nothing but what the Father tells me to do. He was in total submission. And that's always encouraging to me, regardless of what position I'm in in my life. The people that God has over me, I'm to be in submission to them as unto the Lord. And the same thing is true for women as well. Men are to be in submission. Women are to be in submission in the roles that God call us. And the reason I felt this was important is, you know, the church needs to stay on track and not get sidetracked in the days in which we live. The Bible talks about in the last days, there'll be a falling away. And the Bible's very clear on the roles of men and women in the church. And let me just say, it doesn't say that one is better than the other, but it does lay out very clear roles, and that's what I want to cover.
0: Yeah, well, and that's that's the really the highlight point, is that it, having a certain role, or having a role that's different from someone else, does not make one person better than the other right. simply by virtue of the role that they're fulfilling.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And Paul addressed this because, yes. again, there were questions about women in leadership roles over men, et cetera. And you can't be a pastor without being over men. That's impossible because you're a pastor. And we so, both know women that are great teachers. I, I, there are women that are <laughs> way better teachers than I'll ever be. Um, but it, it's, it, the pastoral role is where God says, okay, this is the pastoral and the elder role God says in his word is reserved for men. And he gives the reason why. Now, let me explain this here again. He's talking about when Paul's addressing this in, in 1st Timothy chapter 2, um, he's talking about not not the fact that women can't ever talk when they go to church. He's talking the context here. When I read this, I understand the context is those that are teachers, those that are in front of the congregation. Listen to what Paul says in that context, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. He says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Again, talking about the proper roles, not somehow silencing women or, or suppressing them. This is a positional context. He says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man that right there would preclude a female pastor because you can't be a pastor without authority over the people that you're over He says I don't permit that he goes on why He says why you say well, that's paul. No, this is the word of god speaking through paul If you believe the bible, he says but to be in silence that is in that teaching role Now he gives the reason why a lot of people will say this. Oh, that's cultural. That's just cultural No, here's what paul does. He jumps over all cultures and lands back in the garden in other words, let's skip cultures Let's skip time. Let's go back to the beginning, the way God created it, and the way God intended it. You know, when you go to the garden, you had two people. There's no culture. It's two people. It's a man and a woman. It's before cultures began, but it's how God intended it. So he he says, "Let's, let's, let's hit a reset button. Let's get back to why this is that women can't be pastors, and let's see why God did it this way. He says, for, back in the garden, Adam was formed first. And then Eve, so it's just God's order. There was a structure. The man was first, the woman was next. So there's a structure of, of the order of things in, in God's authority structure. He goes, he goes on and says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So in other words, a consequence of the woman being deceived is, is that she can now not have authority over a man. This, first of all, man was made first, and also she was deceived, so a consequence of that is she can't be a pastor or an elder, a leader, over men. He says, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness and self-control. And so God will be faithful to her in the role he's called her to do. Not that a woman you know, can't be in any kind of leadership role. That's not his point there. But God will be faithful to the man and faithful to the woman if they fit in their proper roles.
0: So if Tana, for example, because this is one of her questions, yes. Pastor Mark. Yes. Um, is it a sin to stay in that church
1: i would say this here would be my counsel if you're in a church that has a female pastor i would counsel you to leave yes i would say you need to leave that church and find a new fellowship and here's why that can sound radical and i'm sure that could probably bring some heat on me but here's the thing god's word says that a woman is not to be in that role which means if you're at a church with a woman in that role the church's authority structure is out of order and if the authority structure is out of order, it opens up a door for further deception, even like happened in the garden when the woman was deceived uh, and Adam wasn't. So it's not about being smarter. It's not about being more savvy. It's about God's structure. And I think that probably some of the deception came in because women have a, a, a tremendous gifting of, of emotions that oftentimes men don't have. It's a greater level of emotion, which sometimes you don't really want emotion leading. You want logic leading, if you will. So yes, I, my encouragement would be is that, you know, look, We need to stay with what God said is the proper role. And he's the one that said it. We didn't. And I would say, yes, if you do have female pastors, my encouragement would be, I would just, you know, I wouldn't make a big scene, but I would move on. Find me a fellowship that is in the proper authority structure as lined out by God's word in second Timothy chapter two, not based on culture, but based on the garden and Adam and Eve, the way God started it from the very beginning. Okay. Okay. So I know, again, uh, you know, some of these things are hard subjects yeah. to, to, to address. One of the things I never shy away from are the hard subjects. and uh, But again, I think that's what we're called to do as pastors. And so uh, fulfilling my role as a pastor, I felt the need to address that because I do think that it's becoming more of an issue, Greg, in the last days. The Bible does warn that in the last days there'll be a falling away. And I think the churches that are not following God's proper structure and order based on his word, they're going to be more susceptible to falling away. So yeah. that would be my
0: my encouragement. Okay, great. Thank you, Pastor Mark. And thank you, Tana, for that question. And again, if you've got a question like Tana, we encourage you to visit thewaymedia.net. You can click on Signs of the Times and submit your question and all sorts of things you can do there at that site, as well as subscribe to our podcast and listen to previous episodes and a lot of other content there at thewaymedia.net. And that's also a place where you can go and watch the live stream of our Hope Uh, Resurrection Sunday morning service 1030 from the Knoxville Civic Auditorium as well as Facebook our church Facebook page and YouTube page and we hope to see or know that you were listening and hearing and we'll see you back next Friday for more Signs of the Times are important. You might remember air hockey or a video game, a record or a digital download, a payphone, phone or a cell phone. Sometimes we forget to remember. You see, there are some things that will always lead you to a place of praise, and it happens when you remember. Spend time touring the God's Goodness Hall of Fame. Discover rich connections to the moments of blessing. These memories invite praise to start all over again. Remember, praise, repeat. W-I-A-M 101.1 FM The Way But I
1: just see so clearly now Who I
0: was dead and gone You gave me my victory song that I sing now